Hello, everybody. And welcome to the office hour. What are, you, uh, what are you having for lunch today, Diane? Um, just, I'm currently working on the last bit of my Trader Joe's Chili Verde Burrito. Looks spicy. Oh, that's a great segue into our first segment, which is Frozen Food Review. Frozen Food Review? That's right, oh, yeah. Shoot, oh my god. So today on the office hour, for lunch we have Trader Joe's Chili Chicken Verde Burrito Especial. Mm. I, uh... And I just finished eating a Vandy Camp's lemon herb shrimp microwavable meal. Hmm, how'd you like that? It was really great. I, first off, I want to start with the experience, right? So you get a, a nice plastic package that contains uh, several of the freshest frozen ingredients. It was a really nice package. Yeah, and plastic. And the cooking, yeah, the plastic was nice. The texture was great. Color mm. off the scale. You like, you like the color? Oh yeah, it just really popped. And yeah, in order to prepare this sumptuous frozen meal, you take the whole package and you just put it in the microwave for eight minutes. Aren't you afraid of cancer? No, I'm, I work in the laboratory to fight cancer, so I yes. think that my efforts in the laboratory offset how much plastic I just ate along with my frozen shrimp entree. Do you, do you poke holes in it or open it up at all? Is no, it actually has specially designed and patented steam vents Wow. That open automatically as pressure builds within the sealed bag. What prevents bad things from going inside? Hopefully your freezer works. Wow. But, I mean, a, sl a small dose of botulism, maybe, yeah, uh, never, yeah it's fine. What doesn't hurt you? Well, what doesn't <laughs> kill you will hurt you? Yeah. What doesn't kill you will make you stronger. Or cripple you. Right, right, mm. right. What, uh, what are you enjoying today? I'm enjoying a, Alex. a homemade... Potato salad, some steak. It's pretty good. Is right. that a hearty? Is that a piece of a pickle? That's right. <laughs> Very nice. Like every good potato salad, you have to have pickles. That's right. Because pickles are just, they're savory. That acidic crunch. They're acidic, but they're sweet. Crunchy, yet digestible. That's a very wholesome lunch. Uh, I'm really liking it. Well, I was reading uh, in the headlines that NASA is planning to send astronauts to the moon in 2024. Can you uh, maybe expand upon that for us, Alex? I mean, that sounds really uplifting. Um, so apparently... It's really an out-of-this-world idea. It's really out-of-this-world. Apparently, our vice president has said by 2024, he wants people walking on the moon. Wow. Wow. Is that to be part of the new Space Force, or just for exploration? Unclear. But apparently, if you don't make it to the moon by 2024, your funding will be cut. So what? watch out, third-party third companies mm. may not have a contract anymore. Diane, you look stumped. <laughs> Wait a minute. So they're going to... They are cutting funding from the companies that contract with NASA if NASA doesn't make it on the moon by 2024? Or if any human hasn't made it to the moon. That's a big, you know, responsibility. Interesting. Mm. How do you feel about that, Alex? Well, I think going to the moon is, uh, well, it's pretty cool just to 
just to put it out there. That's that's a neat idea. Um, but we've already been to the moon just for kind of proof of concept. Um, we don't really need to do that again, in my opinion. If there was, however, a driving reason to go to the moon, establish some sort of Space Force base, some sort of research laboratory, perhaps that would be, uh, you know, have some utility. What kind of research would you want to do on the moon? Oh, boy. Uh, well, I mean, as biologists in this room, there's a lot of interesting things you could do with growing new species or, or different organisms in microgravity, which you find on the moon. Uh, seeing how different biological systems organize in different ways if they don't have the information of what's up and down. I think like one important question would be like, how do you make the moon hab habitable, right? And I feel like that should be maybe one of like the focuses of the early experiment. I, I believe Elon Musk has solved that problem. Oh yeah? You nuke the moon. You just nuke the moon. You nuke the polar ice cap, mm. you melt the ice, and you make an atmosphere. Makes complete sense. It's that doesn't sound like it could go wrong at all. All right, so the moon already doesn't have an atmosphere. So it already gets inundated with radiation from space and the sun, right? Mm -hmm. So how much worse would it be to add nuclear radiation? <laughs> I would guess a lot worse. That's my final answer. Because now How many folds worse do you think it would be? Oh, I don't know. Well, because now you've contaminated the soil, right? I don't know what the soil makeup is like in the moon, but... Probably not as contaminated as it would be if we <laughs> detonated a nuclear exactly. bomb. Exactly. I've heard that people go to the beach that have a little bit of radiation for therapeutic purposes. So would the moon be like that? A nice mm. retreat that people could relax on the sand? And a get... radiation resort. Mm-hmm. That probably won't work too well. No, I'm going to vote we don't do that. Mm. Yeah, Instead second, of second Alex on so, that. Okay, so you don't want to radiate the moon, but you don't think it's a good idea to go in the first place. Unless there's a reason to. Yeah, one thing that was lacking was why. Like, is it just because America doesn't want to fall behind Russia and China? Like, or I guess China more specifically, that the VP identified in Donald Smith? Hmm. Oh man, we have a special guest here. Oh shit. Who just arrived. Oh. Entered into the studio. Oh, 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 no. It's a guy named Junior. Junior, say hello to the world. Hello, people. I am here for burritos. Wow. Junior. This man is into burritos. Junior, can you please weigh in on the topic of should the United States government land people on the moon by 2024? Wait, we've already been to. But <laughs> well, we're going to do it again. Should we do it again? Yeah. Dude, we should always do it. Why? Sure. I want to go to the moon. <laughs> what would, hey, Junior, what oh. would you do on the moon? I think in order to be a I think I'd pick up pebbles. Okay. Collect them. Collect the puck. Collect rocks? Mm. Collect the rocks. I, I don't know what else you could do on the moon besides collect rocks. Yeah, well, that's kind of where we're at, too. You, you could mine it. You could get, like, minerals oh, from it. That's right. That's kind of useful. Those are actually very important. Get the rocks. Put them inside the spaceship and see if you can grow moss on them. Now, what, what's, the <laughs> huh? what's the purpose Why? of that? Huh? What's the purpose of that? Moss is the first fertilizer for lands. Why don't you just bring some cows over? 
No, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Wait, the moon's already made of cheese, so why would you eat cows? That's right. That's a good point. That's Wait. a good point. I probably didn't think about that. Mike Pence probably didn't get that far. No. no. But do you want to... You gotta first grow your first... What's... I forget the first life forms that have to grow to get other life forms to grow. And then to get the next life forms to grow. Because I know... I know it's moths, then you can get... Uh, bushes and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. They can move up to trees and flowers. And well, but where like do the shrubs fit in? That's right before bushes. No, mm-hmm. I think the shrubs are with the. I would actually put the shrubs between the bushes and trees. Well, it depends on the scale of the shrub and True. the scale of the bush. Mm-hmm. I forget. There's an order to it. What about a Venus flytrap? They're pretty smart, and but they're really small. But they don't have any flies to eat. Yeah, mm-hmm. they need more nitrogen flying through the air. Speaking of which, about stowaways. I read, since we're on the topic of space. Oh, wait, there's no atmosphere in the moon. That is yeah. very cool. <laughs> That's a good point. On the International Space Station, they have a bacterial resistant population there. Wait, antibiotic resistant bacteria population? Yes. Yes. Interesting. Where? On the space station. Oh, great. Where they actually have to coat their toilets with metal because apparently accidents happen and uh, they don't want antibiotic-resistant bacteria growing on their toilets. But they already have them growing there. But it's already growing there, yeah. Reasonable. What are your thoughts on that? (laughs) Well, do we quarantine the astronauts after they come back? We usually do. Usually? Have there been any infections on the space station? Apparently not. But, apparently, when you go in space, you get herpes. What? Interesting. The longer you're in space, the more you're likely to get herpes. Well, you not, get con- the other guys. not contract herpes mm. to have an outbreak. Yeah. So is it like herpes from the other astronauts? Or just <laughs> herpes? Not contract herpes, your own latent viral infection. Oh, they come because the immune system is suppressed or something? Yes. Yeah, so or the virus is activated? Their virus is activated and your immune system really is sucky up there, apparently. Mm. That as you spend a longer time up there, you develop more and more herpes. We already have. Do you think we should check if we could form terminal centers in space? I'm pretty sure you do, probably. I, I think every human should have a germinal center, right? <laughs> yeah, that's that's <laughs> exactly right, Alex. Can you please expand on that? <laughs> it just seems like normal immunology. That's right. That you'd have a, If you didn't have any germinal centers, you'd probably be dead. Right? No, you're, you're fine, actually. You're fine. You don't need B-cells at all to be alive. You gotta find walls. Do you know that? Then why do you need a B-cell? That's a big question. Mm. And that's why T-cell people bully B-cell people. Turns out you're fully okay to live with no B-cells. However, without T-cells, as we all know, it doesn't go well. Mm-hmm. You ever wonder why there's no A-cells? There's a B-cell and a T-cell. There's no A-cells. The, uh, the folks who named them were not uh, logical in how they ordered the names. No. Yeah, T comes from thymus. B comes from some part in a chicken that when they first discovered the... I'm trying to remember it. You mean the bone? The bone? No, no, no. It actually has some other... Mm. Diane is our fact checker. 
We're probably gonna edit this part. Yeah. Oh yeah. In birds, B cells mature in the bursa, bursa. or Fabricius, a lymphoid organ. So the B in a B cell com doesn't come from bone marrow. It actually comes from bursa, bursa. in birds, mm. where it was first discovered by Chang and Glick. There you go. What do you think about that, Junior? Wait, where do you get the birds? Oh my! <laughs> I was pretty close. Yeah, you nearly got that right. No. Ooh. I I just heard the bird stuff. Mm. Can I have a slice of your turkey pastrami? That's right. Thank mm. you. Again, we're having lunch on this podcast, so this is. Uh... Yeah, it's kind of like an ASMR mm -hmm. uh, lunch Shrek 4D style experience. Yeah. You're part of our lab family. I don't yeah. trust Strike 14. It makes me cry. Mm. Which part made you cry, Junior? I went to Universal Studios during the Shrek 4D session. I was a kid. Shot me in the face with a water gun, but it was like sugar water. Made me sticky, made me cry because it hurt my eyes. <laughs> That's horrible. Sounds like you're traumatized. So you got a um, sticky, so sugary. Wait, Shrek shot. <laughs> Sticky fluid on your face and you cry. Don't forget sweet. And sweet, yeah, that's right. That's right. Okay. <laughs> Have can I ask um how many therapy sessions you've had to talk about this? This is my first? Well <laughs> welcome. Welcome. Office hour is also uh kind of an amateur recreational uh therapy session. We are doctors after all. Yeah, we're gonna be in a little while. Yeah. Just you, Doc. No, uh, just just me, your friendly everyday neighborhood postcard. That's right. Mm -hmm. All right, so I think that's enough of news for this week. Yeah, I'd say so. Uh, why don't we move on to our next segment, which is, let's rate that. <laughs> oh, shit, can I rate this burrito? Yeah, Shiga, please. you want to rate that burrito first? Where did you get that burrito? Yeah, first, give us the whole description of this burrito and the experience you've had. All right, he's going to the refrigerator. He's pulled out a burrito package. All right. This is your... Very good cuisine from the frozen section of Ralph's. Okay. Mm. It's an eight-pack uh, set of beef and cheese burritos. What's the brand? Brand is uh, Monterey. Okay. Um, Sounds authentic. It is actually, in fact, the least authentic you get. <laughs> <laughs> um, the reason these are great, though, 30 cent burritos. 30 cents? 30 cents per burrito. Comes what, in eight what is the weight per burrito? Oh, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I actually don't know. But there is 8 grams of beef in each burrito. 8 grams? Wow. Alright, we are finding very little data on the mass of burrito. Ah, yes, here it is. So it's 2 pounds for the entire package in 8 burritos. Wow. So... Quarter a pound? You do the math. Alright, so eight, how, two pounds? It's two pounds. Alright, so 16 ounces per pound. That's right. So that's 32 ounces. Mm -hmm. Alright, and we have eight burritos. That's right. So that is what, four? Yep. Four ounces per burrito. Yes. And how much did it cost? 30 cents per burrito. 30 cents per burrito. So that is. Which brings us to about $2.50 for the whole pack, if my math is right. How much is that per burrito, though? 30 cents? <laughs> per ounce? Oh, no. Per ounce, that makes it about... Oh, my. Eight? 
That's pretty cheap. Eight cents an ounce. That's pretty good. That's right, folks. That's a that's what we call a back of an envelope calculation. <laughs> Thanks for sharing your lunch with us today, Jimmy. Now, now, how would you rate that from a scale of trash being bad to tenured status being superb? I would say, I'd say right under trash. Right under, <laughs> under trash. trash. Is that Ebola status we have to avoid? Wait, just to be clear, do you mean worse than trash? Oh shit, I got that backwards. Right above trash. Right above okay. trash. Mm. That's good. Thanks for clarifying your statement. <laughs> so what'd be a little bit better than trash? This burrito. <laughs> so, so the El Monterey burrito would be slightly above trash. That's right. So another favorite burrito of mine is the Tina's Burritos. They sit around that 21 cents a burrito. <laughs> is that from Ralph as well? It is from the same section. It's actually sitting right under this package. Oh, wow. You like I saw details. Why do you buy that one instead of this one? So Tina's Burritos, while cheaper, actually sit at the around the level of trash. <laughs> mm. It is pretty bad. It's only when you've hit rock bottom as a graduate student that you eat Tina burritos. <laughs> oh, so how often have you eaten Tina burritos? Often. <laughs> <laughs> but this package of eight serves a better burrito, same amount of meat and protein, and you don't feel like garbage after eating them, which Aww. is the best you give a frozen burrito. And how many burritos is that for a normal meal for you? Four. Uh, what's the calorie count per burrito? 280 calories a burrito. No, Wait. No. Can, I, can, I see, can, can I see one of those burritos to describe it to the viewers at home, how they look like? All right, so he's taking the burrito out of the bag, this very light blue bag. This is your burrito. <laughs> oh, correct. These are actually my burritos. All right, he's pulling it out. It looks like a tortilla, a flour tortilla. It's rather pale. Little frost on it. Little frost. Almost looks like a log. Um, if you would make a log that small. Uh, it doesn't look really appetizing. It is one of the least appetizing meals of lunch for mm -hmm. me. Mm -hmm. I do very much recommend it if you want to save money on food. So you say it's a good budget meal for people. Good budget <clears throat> meal. Pour in for students. move on to um, a, a TV show or a documentary that you saw? Yeah, which one do we want to start with? There was a lot of good movies released uh, in the past couple of weeks. Captain Marvel, mm. Us, and then the HBO, on the HBO, uh, what is it? What's the title again, Alex? Uh, it's the HBO documentary called The Inventor, Blood in the Water in Silicon Valley. What are your thoughts on that? Well, so this documentary chronicles the rise and fall of the corporation Theranos, which came to extreme notoriety and uh, infamy in 2018 when this multi-billion dollar valued company was shown to have absolutely zero effective technology behind their products, and the founder and CEO had swindled millions of dollars out of investor money to make this company go and eventually had a crash. Yeah. Sounds like I had a lot of hot air. <laughs> that's, that's right, Alex. That's one way to put it. It's, uh, from the get-go, she surrounded herself with like powerful, powerful people in the government and like with military backgrounds. Um, 
Wait, before we go any farther, can you ex explain what Theranos was? What they were, okay, so... What was their product? Um, the name... Now, Theranos doesn't exist anymore. No, they're out of business. Yeah, I think they're out of business. For a while, they were kind of, like, struggling along. But um, Theranos, the name comes from uh, therapeutic and diagnostics combined. Um, their mission was to... Uh, make everybody's health, uh, own health information available to themselves by offering um, affordable, cheap uh, lab results from uh, lab results from like a drop of blood that they collected from the fingertips of people. So their big selling point was that it would be painless and it would be like accessible, it would be cheap. And they claimed that all they needed was like a drop of your blood collected in this small vial called nanotainer. That's a clever name. Yeah, yeah. And uh, they uh, had a proprietary uh, machine that they called the Edison, which is uh, like like about the size of a microwave, I guess. And like you, a good microwave or a bad microwave? In this case, uh, it looked like a fancy microwave, but oh, wow. inside was crap. Three hundred dollar <laughs> so, microwave. Oh, I don't know how much they sold it for, mm. but um, basically the idea was they would collect your blood in this nanotainer, uh, which is about like 1.3 millimeters, I think, and they would insert it into this Edison machine, and inside the machine there would be a centrifuge, there would be like pipettes, all these things that like a standard lab would do, uh, would need to do blood testing, right? And all of this would happen in this mysterious black box, and after about an hour or so, it will spit out your um, lab results from your blood, mm. drop of blood. Sounds like a miracle box. Oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, everybody, like, especially the investors with no scientific background at all, thought it was, it was like the best thing since sliced bread. Basically. Now, why would there investors with no science, why would there be so many non-scientific people running this company? Oh, on the board of a very scientific, cutting-edge company. Yeah, why would that be? <laughs> now, Junior, um, he just had two burritos. He went back, and now he's making a sandwich. So the sound you heard is not flatulence. It's rather French's yellow mustard, where you can get 40% more yellow yeah, mustard. Yeah, exiting out of the thing. <clears throat> this episode is not, in fact, sponsored by... French yellow mustard or any other food products we might mention during the episode. It could yes. be sponsored by Ralph. Yes, we are. Maybe we're working on we're it. We're open to sponsorship, so if you're listening, CEO of any of these companies, please contact yes. out to us. So, continuing with our discussion mm -hmm. about this person, this this very horrible, horrific company, this very mean spirited woman who, who led this company. Well, let's not go that far. <clears throat> so, in the documentary. The main thesis uh, <clears throat> that was put forward by the director is that uh, the woman who was running the company, Elizabeth Holmes, if I'm not mistaken, That's right. was incredibly is she to Sherlock Holmes? Uh, unclear. They haven't made a statement about that yet, but I'm waiting with unbated breath. Um, she was strongly motivated to change the world and make healthcare better and more accessible to people. And in her pursuit of this vision, she was willing to cut corners and lie in order to make her vision happen. Yeah. And 
the picture that the director painted is of a person who kind of let the lies spiral out of control in pursuit of this vision and kind of lost track of the fact that this is a science company with an actual patient-facing product that has to work. And you can't lie about that. People's lives are in jeopardy. That's, that's usually a bad thing. Yeah, in my book, that's a bad one. Yeah, in the movie, um, what was interesting, they featured a behavior economist. Now, what is a behavioral economist? Economic behaviorist? Behavior economist? Behavioral so, economist. Behavioral economist. Basically, um, I guess he looks at what motivates people to behave in a certain way, which is closely tied with economics in general, right? And, um... <laughs> And um, one of the experiments that he described in the movie, uh, and spoiler alert, because this is an exciting portion of the movie. Um, now, is this the whole movie, or does it come in parts? Parts. So this is the first part of how many movies? Oh, you mean, oh, like that. Is no, this I like don't... a trilogy, or is this, this a standalone documentary? Yeah, this is standalone. Sorry, I thought you meant, like, did the movie come in parts? Because mm. in the movie, they interviewed different people. Um, what he describes is a experiment where they basically gave the participants um, a, a opportunity to lie for personal gain and uh, they found that when faced with a choice for monetary gain participants will lie and that can be detected using a lie detector then they had the participants um, go through the same thing but instead of for self gain it would be for um, donation to a charity and the question was would they still lie and yeah actually they found out they did but the inter most interesting is after that the lot when um, the con participants started lying for the gain of the charity instead of themselves the lie detector stopped working mm. which means that they no longer felt the worry the guilt associated with lying for personal gain because they believed that they were lying for the greater good and it was a kind of like an analogy made to Elizabeth Holmes now we can say that she's um, like I mean she definitely lied so that's a bad thing but in terms of like looking at her motivation or the thought process behind it you know it does she, it, does she somehow in her mind <laughs> Uh, does she somehow in her mind um, justify all of them, all of those actions, all of the frauding, putting, even putting the patient's um, lives at risk through the false tests, like that is justified for the greater mission of like helping people through her company. And actually, I think it's really mis, I mean, um, I think it's really misplaced because her mission should be helping the patients. Um, but I feel like the focus was more on the company helping the patients, mm. and if they couldn't do it, then the patients like shouldn't be helped, anyways. But they were hurting mm -hmm. them at the same time. Yeah, I think in the case of a healthcare company, the phrase "you have to break a few eggs to make an omelet" doesn't work because in this case, the eggs are patients. Mm -hmm. You don't want to break too many of those. That's right. Because then <laughs> you're going to be out of the omelet business. No, no, Junior. Let me ask you something. There's a lot of biotech companies out there. Do you think this is a one-off? Or a lot of biotech companies are like this? Over-promising and sometimes <gasps> lying. 
I think when it comes to money, you'll see a lot of similar trades between companies, especially when uh, the bottom line is in patient health, but profits. I think that's my take on it. Have you, you had think any? This is more common? I would say it's very common. Now, how do, how do we prevent stuff like this from happening? That's a great question. So, another part of the thesis by the documentarians was that the Silicon Valley philosophy on how you build a company is incongruous with the ethical responsibility of a healthcare corporation. So, uh, Mark Zuckerberg of Facebook coined the, the famous phrase, move fast and break things, in how, they're, how they approach developing their product and actually going to market. Um, but uh, again, when you move fast and break things in healthcare, the people are being broken potentially, and that's yeah, unethical that and unacceptable. Mm -hmm. So the, the documentary doesn't actually provide an answer to how we should structure biotech startups moving forward, but they do provide a significant argument that they should not be structured like software startups, where lying is an integral part of securing funding. Where everyone, everyone who's ever pitched to an investor knows that what they're saying is, you know, you can't be backed up by facts. They're, they're making projections for financials for many years. They're making projections for how their technology will look. And it's just an assumed part of doing business that certain things are not necessarily going to be true. And you're going to, you know, figure out the details later. But that doesn't work when you actually are handling patient samples and informing patients of whether they should go on medication or not. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think transparency is gonna be a big mm -hmm. part of it. Like Theranos had none of that, and I think even in the case of Twenty Three and Me, right, where they ran into problems with um, FDA regulation because mm -hmm. they were making claims, they were you know, do doing things. I think a uh, important thing uh, will be to like work with the regulatory bodies in the case of, well, uh, especially in the case of healthcare because your end goal for the regulatory bodies and your company should be the same thing, which is the welfare of the patients. Mm -hmm. Those are very good points. Now, how would you rate this show if people want to actually go out and watch it? Is it worth it? Hmm. I'm going to give it... Well, go, go ahead first, Alex. <clears throat> so I would say it's definitely worth watching. It's a great description of the story of the company. It gives a little bit of insight into the CEO and founder's perspective and personality and drive. Um, I do think it's a little shallow of a documentary because for a few reasons it doesn't give answers to how biotech could be potentially organized to reduce these the risk of having unethical behavior like this. Um, nor does it really go into many of the social consequences of having the first female tech billionaire CEO fall from grace so quickly and so dramatically. Oh my god. And gosh. how that is wrapped up in this whole story. Because that was a big part yeah. of Theranos' stories. No, oh, for sure. Is that like she was she was the model female CEO. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then now if you look at the story again, 
she's not a, a great candidate for that for that role yeah so. oh yeah we didn't touch on that in the like previous discussion but that's so true when she first came to light like she was such an inspiration like i think that that was part of her like that contributed to her swindling power right like as she went and frauded all these people was the fact that her story is so inspiring here is a young woman the first self-made billionaire under the age of 30 and uh, it and her story could have uh, continued to be inspiring for lots of women now it's a start like it's a very good example of what not to do and she just raised that barrier um, for like female founders in the future just by I don't know just by a such a big fail of an example um, for me like uh, I yeah, I think like Alex raised like really good points about how the uh, movie could have been better. Um, for me, it was it felt more like a like, kind of supplement or follow up to John Kerry's, um book Bad Blood, and um, perhaps they were kind of dependent on people having read Bad Blood or at least knowing about the story because uh, in some parts they didn't delve into uh, like it was lacking depth as could have mentioned so. Um, would definitely recommend the book Bad Blood as well. But I think um, it captured like the visual effects, such as uh, Elizabeth Holmes like staring unblinkingly into the camera for like like all of the clips they had of her. Um, she must have really good tear ducts. Or or like she greases them really well when she goes back for recharging <laughs> <laughs> or something. But. Um, and I would I would give it not emeritus professor mm -hmm. tenure status, but mm, like an assistant professor status. I would give it nascent. Um, yeah, let let's go uh, assistant professor approaching the tenure review. Okay, stage. so almost getting there. Uh, almost getting there, but still, yeah. Still some doubt that you will ultimately be tenured. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We all work in a biology lab, and one of the biggest things in a biology lab is not to get biohazard on yourself. Mm -hmm. oh, wow. I think that's totally uncool, mm -hmm. and it could lead to a bad day. That's right. <laughs> Don't want to so, chair. What are some good ways that we can give the viewers at home, or the listeners at home, advice on not getting biohazard on themselves? Well, I'd say the first and easiest thing is to always wash your hands anytime you've donned and doffed gloves, anytime you've left the laboratory environment, and absolutely anytime before you consume any food or drink. And probably don't touch your face with gloved hands. I would say that's not a probably, that's a definitely don't touch your face <laughs> with gloved hands. Even if the gloves don't actually have an active biohazardous agent on them, you need to maintain uh, the, the training to not touch your face mm -hmm. with gloves in the event you do have a dirty glove on your hand and you do decide to maybe rub your eye or touch your mustache. mustache. What, what if you have a really bad itch on your mustache? What is the proper protocol? Ah, great question. I'm really glad you asked. Uh, that's why you have undergraduates in the laboratory. <laughs> <laughs> so you devise a signal. There, You, you put maybe... Uh, 
call attendee button inside the biohazard hood. Press the button, undergrad is signaled. They come, they itch your mustache. No, some undergrads find they that weird. They itch you. Well, there's a lot of new things to learn about when you start in the new research laboratory. Mm. That's just one of the many things you have to become accustomed to. All right, so don't touch your face with gloves. That's one thing mm -hmm. to avoid. Yeah, I think also like for people with long hair, like don't touch your hair. Uh, try to, I think like staying off of laptops and keyboards is uh, hard to hard to remember sometimes because if you're in the rush of just, you know, like doing stuff, um, but you don't want to touch your personal items that you'll be touching with bare hands with gloves on. Yeah. Now, it's sometimes good to not only just one use one pair of gloves, but to use multiple pair of gloves. I think that gives you optimal protection from some biohazards. Is that a good analysis right there? Is that a good thing to do? I would say so. Uh, now, gloves aren't perfect. Mm. Now, most gloves and aren't use perfect. Gloves, they begin to become damaged over time. Yes. And in some cases, you can even have a new damaged glove from the box. Yes. Now, there's this particular brand that is more prone to this. Mm. What was that brand's name? Oh, I believe it is Royal Touch. The Royal Touch, a really bad glove. Um, I would not recommend that glove. I like. I thought, isn't there a term for like if you double like wrap something? Is, isn't it double? It's called double gloving. Double gloving. Okay. No, your term you're reaching for is to double bag it. Double. Okay. Yeah, Which, that's found. Uh, heard about so-called double gloving. Yes. Is that the friction between the two layers can cause it to wear and tear faster, therefore exposing agents that you don't want on bare skin. That's a very interesting assessment. Mm -hmm. um, now, I think you have two layers instead of one. So if you wear out the layers, there's still two layers to protect you. So in essence, it's at least good, it's at least as good as one glove. If anything, it could be like one and a half gloves because of the friction element. Yeah, and, and I just realized there's a different, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she just got it. So, in... Uh, laboratory setting. In, la in laboratory training, it is prescribed to wear double gloves for handling very hazardous biological agents. Yes. So that is actually a, a, a prescribed uh, technique and precaution and protocol. Right, right. But not necessarily to be used in every situation. Interesting. When it comes to the friction reducing the integrity of one of the gloves, I think that actually may be misinformation from uh, the Anti-Glove Society. Is that right? Obviously you want to wear not only just at least one glove, but two gloves when you do biohazards. And also wear lab coats. Mm -hmm. I particularly like my lab coat, which is a barrier lab coat. Um, has carbon fiber inserts, which reduce static. I think it's wow. a really nice styled lab coat. Um, it's a shocking inclusion. Yes. Um, always wear your lab coat and always wear your safety glasses because you don't want to lose an eyeball. Mm. Now, some people have had accidents. You know, I've heard about you know acrylamide splashing people's faces and their eyeballs. Mm -hmm. That's why you want to wear your safety glasses. Right. So you have to have the safety glasses lab coat, and the double gloves. Or just know how to duck. 
You have to be really good at yeah. this. Yeah. Or just wear your safety glasses. Right. And like or just always. Carla, who handles the chrome out of bare hands. Oh. Very good. So, very safe. Is, this is Sean, uh, who is now on our podcast. Sean, welcome to the show. Uh, welcome to the show. Oh, um, you're recording. Now, uh, That's right. <laughs> oh, he's gone quite right, we'll now. Post. Um, biosafety, should we recommend to the viewer? <clears throat> Never run with sharp implements like uh, syringes in yeah. the holes. That's bad. That's definitely, definitely bad. Uh, good advice. Um, Keep consumables like food and drinks away from your lab benches. Yes, no food or drink in the lab. Um, in the lab, yeah. Also, never. It's not really a biohazard thing. It's more just a lab safety thing. And it's just general advice to everyone is not to stand on movable chairs. I think that is just risking disaster. Like breaking a bone. Mm -hmm. That's easy for the tall people to say <clears throat> in the lab. But I, I come always in lab and I see my bench chair with wheels that roll around really easily and there's always two footprints on it. Oh, it's not me. And no, it's definitely bigger footprints than oh. you. It seems I'm, like kind of like a, almost like a boot print. Right? <laughs> and I'm looking at Junior's feet here and he kind of has boots and the bottom kind of looks like the prints. Yeah. The, the yeah. <laughs> oh wait. Because you never know, if you fall off the chair, you could fall into some biohazard. And that would be shame. Mm -hmm. Or well, sharp. That. Or sharp. And then you'd have biohazard injected in itself. Which is not ideal. No. I mean, it was ideal for Spider-Man. Yeah, Peter Parker did pretty well for uh, himself. But for other people, it's usually a bad thing. Not very good. Yeah. Um, well, I think this advice has been enlightening and illuminating. I, I think we've uh, provided some really good guidance to people. Mm -hmm. um, if you have a lab in your own home, uh, remember to, to uh, do these things. and Double glove, mm -hmm. wear your lab coat, wear your safety glasses, and don't step on movable chairs. We've covered a lot today on our very first podcast of The Office Hour. Wowzies. Thank you for listening. Have a great day. Good night. Bye. Go watch my mustache. <laughs>